So a while ago now, I did a mission trip, sort of a short-term thing. Let's pull, we might need to kill this again, boom me back. In, does anyone know what this is? This is Lima, and Lima is the capital of Peru. Well done, everybody. Um, and so we went to Peru, and this was what we encountered in the capital. There was a very military, violent, powerful presence. People walked around, soldiers walked around fully armed, and it looked like they were waiting for combat or conflict. The tension was palpable because of the fear of riots and of demonstrations against the government. Now, hold that picture in your mind, because on Wednesday, just gone, I was at Parliament House. And that's another story for another day. But whilst I was at Parliament House, there was a huge demonstration taking place. There wasn't this one, but that sounded like this one. They were, they were angry and they were chanting and there was a lot of power and energy coming to the point that inside Parliament House you could easily hear what was happening outside Parliament House. And as we were sitting there, the politicians would come through the room that we're in and they go to the balcony that we weren't unfortunately allowed to go to for safety reasons. And they looked out over this, um, the, the crowd that were there and their response was amusement and entertainment. And as I looked at this going on, and I heard the rage and passion of the people that were demonstrating, I asked the guide that we were with, I said, what's the value of demonstrating? Because they're not going to change the minds of these politicians. It was really quite clear. And she said, oh, no, no, no. They have no chance of changing their minds. The only thing that will help them change their minds is the outcry of the people and when that outcry is big enough. So the reason demonstrations come to Parliament House is because this is where the media are. And the media report on this and it gets much broader support and that's when the politicians have to respond. And I was thinking about this. You see, if you do a demonstration in Australia, you have to register it. You are given guidelines. You, there are streets closed off for you and it's very civil. It's very orderly and it's actually really quite safe. I realize sometimes it gets out of hand, but the idea is that it's safe, that everybody in Australia has the right to voice their own rights and, um, and desires against our government. But you parallel that with Peru, Lima, Peru, where, where you have people that are diseased, that are in poverty, that are trying to do all they can just to survive. You have a media that's owned by the government, so appealing to the media doesn't do anything. And so what happens is the people get to the breaking point of wanting to explode and all hell is unleashed in these demonstrations. And that's a picture of a recent um, uh, demonstration in Lima, Peru. They've had seven presidents their, their rates of poverty and uh, ill health are escalating and all it takes is a spark to set off and the whole nation ignites, which is why there's such a violent presence. So you have these two different pictures of demonstration. That's what I want you to hold. As I tell you what the biblical word for demonstration or riot or protest is, the biblical word is the word ecclesia. We're going to try our Greek on this morning. Ready? One, two, three. Ecclesia, you're all Greek scholars, well done. Ecclesia is this, a gathering of citizens 
called out from their homes into some public place as an assembly to deliberate, to demonstrate, or to protest. That's Ecclesia. And so far you're like, it's all very cute, Ralph, but so what? Here's, here's where we drop the mic and walk out. Here it is. Ready? Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he uses this word to describe the church. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The word ecclesia, which culturally meant demonstration or protest or riot, has been translated by the scribes to be the word that we use as church. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The word Jesus uses to talk about this thing that the disciples will become and will be part of, this thing that we are, is the cultural word that would have been used all the time for a public protest, demonstration, or God forbid, a riot. We, ladies and gentlemen, when we joined the church, we joined a movement so powerful that hell itself would shrink back from it. What have we become? What have we become? Last Sunday night, Linda and I went to, um, see, went to New Life, and speaking at New Life was a guy called Mike Pilavachi. I'll explain a little bit about Mike later on. But Mike started his talk by pretty much giving me the title of today's talk. He said this, he said, The church is meant to be an army, not an audience. The church is meant to be an army, not an audience. The church was born into our world on the lips of Jesus as he spoke it about a movement. We're not an audience, we are a movement. Now we started this series five weeks ago. Bit of a test. Who, what, what did we cover week one? The church is the... It's all right, I had to look it up too. You're forgiven. The church is the gathering of Christ. It's gathering around Jesus. And then we looked and said the church is the family of Jesus. And then we went one step further and we said the church is the bride of Jesus, the bride of Christ. Last week, come okay, on, bonus points here, we talked about the church being the body, well done, oh, God, yes, body of Christ. Today, we're talking about the church being the movement of Christ. They're different metaphors that help us understand the nature of the church. They give us vantage points in. And as we asked, as we looked at these different metaphors, we asked two questions. What is this thing that we're all a part of? And if you're not part of it, would you like to become part of it? And if you've come in the last five weeks and you're at the point of saying, yeah, I, I actually want to know, I want to become part of the church. Or if you're saying, look, today's my first day, but I'm really interested in what that means. I would love to have a conversation with you. So you can either chat to me after the service and we can tee up a, a, a catch up, or you can use the QR code and it's the second button down and just let us know that you'd like to have a conversation about membership in our church, knowing that many of you are already members. So in a few short words, Jesus brilliantly frames his heart and his desire for the church. I tell you, Peter, you are this rock. I will build my church, my ecclesia, my demonstration, my movement. I will build it. And the gates of hell, they will not, they will not overcome it. He says these words, 
for those who will find themselves without a competent saviour and in need of Jesus. He offers them this. He's painting a picture, you see, of this protest that goes through the streets. As he would have said these words, people listening would have said, huh? A demonstration, a protest, and their minds would have gone to them walking through the streets. But not out of violence or fear, out of love and empathy. And that we'd be protesting not against the government, but a greater evil regime that's personified in this idea of hell. We are going to war against hell. And Jesus is gripped. He's gripped by the idea that there are people currently living under the regime of hell. And he doesn't want any of it. He wants to lead them out of that. So he summons his gathering, his family, his bride, his body, to do something about it to overcome and lead people away from this regime of hell that they're experiencing and lead them away from an eternity, a Christless eternity spent in hell unless they discover and respond to the love of Jesus. Now, when a biblical protest, not a biblical protest, when a protest happened in biblical times, a great number of people would gather, but they would have to gather out of the earshot of the government. So they would gather in sort of a, a known but obscure public gathering to make sure they're all on the same track. So like this, right? We gather together to make sure we're all on the same track because of the challenge that awaits us. So they would gather everyone, and they knew that if they turned up to the gathering, it was for fear of death. You, you knew in those times that if you were part of the demonstration, it was a high chance you would be killed for your beliefs. So it was only the brave and the, the, the full of courage that would dare to be part of this. And when they came together, they had one aim. They had one aim, to topple the gates of the emperor. Let's overthrow the gates of the emperor. Because if we can overthrow the gates of the emperor, we can take charge of the, um, where the emperor lives. We can assume power and we can have it our way. We can distribute justice equally. We can make sure everyone's cared for. And looked after. The gates were the final obstacle to the success of a movement. And Jesus says, In the gates of hell, they will not overcome my movement. Our gate, our, our aim is the gates of hell. How is it possible that the gates of hell cannot possibly stop this movement that we call church? How is it possible? How do we actually have a chance against all the evil that rages in our world? Because we do. We have more. We have more than a chance. Because Jesus, who is the leader of our movement, he has exhausted hell of its power. Jesus has exhausted hell of his power. He has utterly and completely disempowered it by the work he did on the cross. That's what happened. The only power evil has and Satan has is the power we give it. Which is why there's such a strong call in the scriptures to holiness. Don't give your power to evil in this world. Give your power to the things God wants to do in this world. So Jesus invites us. He says, come join me. I'm, I'm protesting. I'm going through the streets and we're going to topple the gates of hell. Come join me. 
And he expects that we go, this is incredible. To others, come join us, follow Jesus, be part of the church, the movement as we follow Jesus. Come be part of this. And we would see this movement sweep through our city of love and of peace and of promise and of purpose. We would see healing and injustices righted. We would see love responded. We see love upheld. We would see our leader claim back the things that have been lost to hell. And Jesus knows that in us accepting that invitation, that we are offering our lives. In the same, it's different, but it's the same. We're offering our lives if we're part of this. First century protests, they were ugly, violent, horrible affairs. People were maimed and beaten and killed. Only the brave would protest because they knew it would end up as a riot. Only the brave because the cause for which they signed up was so compelling and so important. And so we turn to Jesus for some comfort. We go, Jesus, it can't be this hard, can it? <laughs> That's, it's a step from me being in the audience to being in an army. And I'm, can you, can, Jesus, can you help me think about this? And listen to what Jesus says. He says it in Matthew 16, if anyone desires to come after me, and see it says anyone, he covers all his bases, anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself or herself, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save their life will lose it, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And here we realize we should be more scared to death about the consequences of not following Jesus than of what will happen if we do obediently follow Jesus. For we are an army. We are not an audience. If you are a Christian, you are saved into this army. You weren't saved into an audience. If you are not yet a Christian, this is what Jesus is calling you and inviting you into, this movement. And if we were, which we are, an army or a protest or a movement, we must talk about money. The most favorite thing in all of church to talk about. Let's talk about money. Like, you're all going, hey, I didn't know it was going this direction, Ralph. Like, we can't talk about church membership without talking about money. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the heaven Jesus is talking about is the heaven we pray about when we pray the Lord's Prayer. You know the heaven that we pray about there? That heaven isn't some distant mythical thing with lots of clouds and harps and, gee, I hope heaven's not like that because that would be boring. But it's not that heaven that Jesus is talking about. Heaven, Jesus is talking about heaven on earth. When the church movement comes, when the Holy Spirit moves, that's what Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, don't amass for yourself wealth. He's not saying, do not be rich and do not be successful. He's saying, do not have such a pile of wealth that you don't do anything with it because it will stress you out, it will frustrate you, it will decay your life. Instead, whatever God gives you, give that to the movement of what he is doing in this world. Give to that movement. Let it, let it flow through you to the movement. You see, we know if our heart is for Jesus and for the church by following the money. 
If you ever need just a litmus test of the state of discipleship in your heart, look at what you give to and how you give. Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We put our treasure where we want our heart to be. So Jesus invites us to invest our money, to invest our heart, because he's actually not too hung up about the whole money thing. He's more interested in the state of the human heart. Use money to invest your heart in this thing I am doing in the world. It's my movement. It's the one thing I've chosen. Pour your life and yourself into this. It's the most important thing because it's for the salvation of others. The movement of the church is for the salvation of others. So when Lyndall and I started Village, um, Lyndall, we just, um, we just had Hamish, so he was really um, little tacker. We moved from a manse into a mortgage, so we had a, a, now a mortgage and a home loan to pay. I went from full-time to 0.8, and we sensed God telling us to be more generous than we'd ever been. It was terrible. When God says stuff like that, like, no, I've misheard. And you can spend months telling God you've misheard, and God will just, won't be moved. It's like, no, come on, complain all you like, just be more generous. And so we, we started to look at our finances, and we, the Old Testament principle, for those of you that aren't aware, is called a tithe. Tithe is 10%. The New Testament doesn't talk a lot about tithe. It talks a lot about generosity. So we went, all right, if it was 10%, what would it be of our income? And then what would it look to take that number and make it generous? And so that's what we did. We were generous, and we started tithing to the church. The way we tithe is direct debit happens first moment the money comes in, so we never see it or miss it. We just go straight to what we do here. And so that was fine. And then about three years later, my position shifted. I went from 0.8, so four days a week, to full-time again. Um, our kids were a little bit older, and so we went. We felt God saying, it's time to re- readjust. Like, have a look at your finances again. And I want you to be more generous. So did you, did you hear it? He didn't say that, did he? I think he said less generous. Yes, he said less generous. That's right, less generous. And God's like, As would I ever say less generous? Never. So we had this, all right, let's, let's dig in again and let's, 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 let's be generous. And so we, we did that again. Now, interesting thing, since doing that a couple of years ago, there's been interest increases. Right? So now if you have a mortgage, it's now you have to pay more a month. It's brutal and there's this squeeze and there's other costs. The kids, for example, they've gone to this thing called school and it costs more money. Ugh, they eat more food than they've ever eaten in their lives. They want to do these activities and all this stuff. And so we've got, we've got all the tension of life happening, right? And it's the same for every single person here. Just life looks a bit different. And then we've got God saying, I want you to be generous in this space. And we made the decision that it wouldn't matter what else changed in our entire lives, the thing we would never back away from is our generosity to Jesus. We'd never back away. I will sacrifice eating vegetables and fruit and fruit before that that giving gets, gets touched. That's the level of intensity and sacrifice we're talking about this morning. Because I believe what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want my heart to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, well, give to this. I'm like, whatever you want, because I want my heart to belong to you. And the best way I've found of making sure my heart belongs to Jesus is to give to the things Jesus tells me to give to. We can use the power of money in our lives to aim our hearts at the movement of Jesus. Now, members give. It's part of what you do in church membership. You just 
give. It's part of owning this theology that we're talking about. But it's also why we never, ever ask for an offering on Sunday mornings. At Village, we spent four years, five years, of never asking for an offering, ever. Because the church, people will come to the church and they need Christ and they need blessing and they need grace and they need encouragement and they don't ever need to feel like it costs them anything. And we have this subtle way in our, in our history, this is all churches, by the way, of saying, well, just let the bag pass you by. People, I don't know if you've seen people the first time to church, they're like, if everyone else is doing it, I feel like I've got to do it. We taint this idea of grace. We should never expect people who haven't signed up for the movement to pay for the movement. That's on us. We are the movement, right? That's on us, for us to look after, but not for someone who comes to church for the first time and is exploring Christ. I heard a story last week of a Methodist church in Fiji where what they would do, and one of you might have told me this, they, um, every Sunday, the, uh, I think it's Elder or be like John, our chair, chairman, would stand up and he would read out the names of the membership role. And as your names read out, you would get up from your seat in front of everyone carrying your monetary gift and you would come and put it in the offering in front of everyone. This is like now, in this day and age, like now. And, and then you would return to your seats. And there would be, now I might be able to live in a bit, but there would be like a, a look of satisfaction, like a good one, or a look of, I don't know how many fish you caught this week. Wouldn't it, how embarrassing if you forgot your wallet or your purse that morning? Mortifying. We don't do that. We will never do that because it culturally doesn't work here. It just doesn't work here. You imagine if we did anything like that? What would we say to someone who comes in exploring Jesus? We would say, the Jesus you're after is not here. If we did that, it would easily be enough for, to turn people off Jesus, and maybe some of you, maybe me, off Jesus for life, if that's how Jesus wants things to be. It's an anti-movement tradition. Now, our expression here is to encourage everybody to direct debit. That's how we do it. So we just say, direct debit. You take care of that with God. Now, we realize that some of you, direct debiting is messy. It's too difficult. It's a stress to get set up. And what we say to you is, we'll continue to give and just put it in the offering box, which is right near that door that we use for a variety of other things. So if you put your offering in there, which you'll do every week, because you love Jesus, because you want to be part of this thing, you're giving your offering, and that all goes to the same space. But since we started doing this, and this is, so when we started, I said, I really, really feel convicted about this. This is five years ago at Village. And I had people going, you're not going to be able to run a church based on that. I was like, oh, I beg to differ. We'll see what God wants to do. Our finances at Village and now for all of us here are extremely healthy, extremely strong, and give us all sorts of opportunities moving in the future to choose what, God, to choose what things God wants us to, to do into the future. Our, our culture around helping new people feel part of it is healthy. And it all boils down to the fact at the end of the day is we give to Jesus so that our hearts belong to him and God takes care of the rest. Because who's going to build the church? Jesus. Not me or you. Jesus says, I will build my movement. I will do it. You just worship me in the midst of that. That's how God intends to fund his movement. But how do we know if we're part of the movement? I think when the spirit of God moves, we respond. That's how we know we're part of the movement. 
On, on Thursday, I received a text message from a young mum in our church. She's got a couple of kids, and they said to me, through this text message, they said, um, I'm feeling like me and the kids should go and visit someone who's part of our church. What do you think? Now, they had no idea that I had been praying for this person, that people in our church would respond and just go and visit them without me having to say anything or anything. And I'm like, this is amazing. So so God has said to you, can you go visit that person? And and the mum's going, is that okay? I'm like, do it, do it. The Spirit of God is moving, but we must join in. And then I was making a visit the other day with somebody who was quite sick. And as I walked in the front door, I had a very strong impression that I needed to pray Psalm 69. Now, what's in Psalm 69, you ask? I had no idea either. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I should say this. It was like Psalm 69. I just got to say, okay. And so we went in and we got chatting. And I knew by the time before I left, I would have to have read this psalm. And so we came to this point when it seemed appropriate. And I said, uh, I said, oh, can I read a, a psalm? And they said, yeah, sure. And then they said these words. They said, you know, I feel like I'm barely keeping my head above water. Direct quote. They said that. I said, well, let me just read this psalm. I'd not read the psalm at this stage. I probably should have because it was a bit long and it went on a little while. But the first verse, listen to the first verse. The person says, you know, I feel like I'm barely keeping my head above water. Verse 1 of Psalm 69, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. The Spirit of God is moving in us. We must join in. And Lyndall shared that story of two afternoons ago with her, with Hamish's best mate's mum, and, and she phones me up. I was out, and she calls me up, and she goes, you would not, but she was ec- ecstatic, and she's telling me all about it. She's like, it's so amazing what happened. The Spirit of God is moving. We must join in. Then on Sunday night, just gone, we went to New Life, and I didn't realize Mike Pilavachi was going to be speaking, and I love Mike, um, and he, he has this real prophetic gift. And so he always does a response at the end. So he spoke really well, and we're sitting in the second row. And after the service, he goes, I want to do something different tonight. He says, I just feel like I want to call forward anybody who wants to completely commit their lives to me. Just, just come forward now. And quick as a flash, so there's myself, and then there's Lyndall, and then there's Hamish and Zari. And Zari, my eight-year-old, like a lightning bolt, is kneeling at the front. Just boom. It's like, whoa. And then Hamish just really shortly after, boom, right there. And there was a lot of other people came forward. And so Mike Hans, who's the pastor there, asked me to help pray. And so Lyndall was praying for the kids. So we did all that. We jump in the car at the end of the night to come home. And I said, hey, kids, I saw you both responded. You went down. What was going on for you? Which is partially what I would say. And, of course, they went, huh? What are you talking about, Dad? I said, all right, um, uh, when, what, what were you thinking about when you went down? And Zari says, I don't know. I just had to go. I said, what about you, Haim? And Haim says, oh, I went down to pray for a couple of kids in my class. I said, really? Which, which kids? And he told us which kids. And the, the kids that he mentioned were kids that struggled to fit in. There's some learning difficulties there and behavioral issues. There. They're, just, they're just tough kids in a classroom setting. He said, I prayed for them. I said, what did you pray for them about? He goes, that they wouldn't hurt me anymore. <laughs> I said, all right. Why, um, why is that? Do they hurt you? And he goes, no, no, no. Like, when they hurt us, we don't want to be around them. And they're really lonely. <laughs> 
And so if I can be around them and they don't hurt me, I can stay around them and they cannot be lonely anymore. I'm not finished with the story. This is going to be a mess by the time we're done. So Monday, next day, school finishes. Hayne jumps into the car. He's upset. He's not had a good day. He's not like really teary. He's just not happy. I said, what happened today, Hayne? He says, well, today I was sitting with those boys that I prayed to you about. I'm sitting with them. And my, he's got a group of like four or five best mates. I was in two of those mates. I said, hey, can we come and sit with you? And they go, no, you can't come sit with us if you're still sitting with him. And he was like, what? They're like, no, we don't want him as part of our group. So Haim's telling the story. So I said to Haim, what did you do? He looked at me with absolute disgust and disdain that I would dare to ask that question. <laughs> what do you think I did, Dad? I stayed. <laughs> I wish I had the same courage at times, eh? <laughs> it, it cost him. It cost him was so scared of paying that price, but it cost him and he didn't blink. And he knew that whatever happened with his mates would be fine and it would work out, but what was happening right there was important for this kid who didn't have anyone. And then on Tuesday night he takes him to soccer and it's just, you're just like, man, the Spirit of God is moving. We just have to join in. For all of us, we have these stories, that's why we share testimonies. To say that God did that in your life, God can do that in my life if He did that in your life. God's operating like that. If God works like that in your life, God can work like that in my life. Now, you may have noticed as we've been talking about these interesting metaphors of the church, and I'm going to wrap up now. We started talking about a gathering, which doesn't have a lot of movement to it, does it? It's pretty still in its state. And then we talked about a family where there's a bit more of a moving dynamic. And then we talked about a bride who pursues her wedding day and moves toward her wedding day. Then we talked about a body that is the full mobilization of the body of, church, the body of Christ. And today we're talking about a, a movement. Why would Scripture hold so many different metaphors in so many different ways? I think because God knows where we're each at and he's calling us on to the next bit. He knows where our comfort point in those metaphors lies, our strength point where we're like, oh, I'm happy just here and he knows that and he says and i have another metaphor for you i have another step for you to take for some of us there's been a disillusionment over the years of the church is a building and a thing that we come to on sunday mornings and 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 what jesus is saying is that is true but it's so much more than that would you take a step out of that would you take a step toward me for some, we've been disillusioned because the church family we've belonged to has not been the family that we hoped it would be. It's not met those needs and helped us and really moved in that space. And we just feel hurt and frustrated. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't, don't look to be served by others. Look to serve others and you will discover me. Move forward in that. Take a step forward. For some of us, we have not been arrested by the biblical imperative that when you become a Christian, you are the church. You cannot separate the two. You cannot ever. Bible never separates and understands the two as separate. When you accept Christ, you accept the church, and you, you are part of the church. You cannot be a part of Christ and separate to the church. You just can't. 
And I'm not talking about being here every Sunday morning, but you can't be part of the church, this movement of the church, and part of Christ, and not part of Christ. And then for some of you, you're frustrated in the other way. You're like, can we storm the hill already, Ralph? Like, oh, just, just let me at it. I want to take off. And what I want to say to you guys is, is Jesus is already a couple of steps ahead of you. Catch up with him. And lead us there as a church. Draw us there. Step out in faith and share those testimonies and strengthen the, the heart of everyone else. There is a place for all of us in this. But regardless of where we find ourselves on this spectrum, from, from static to full movement, regardless of where we are, Jesus is saying, Come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. Let me pray. Jesus, we want to follow you. That's why we're here. That's why we got out the front door this morning and walked or drove here to be here in your midst because we love you. We want to worship you. We want to be amongst what you're doing to us as a, as a family and as a body and as a movement and as your bride, as this gathering. And Lord, you are calling all of us to a next step. And it will be scary, and it will be challenging, and it will be difficult. And yet we have nothing to fear, because you have it all. You hold us. Not only do you hold us, we are part of your body. And so Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Just in these few moments... Show us the next step we each need to make in this journey that you call us on to see a world redeemed. Lord, we need your courage to take that step. And so give us that courage and build it into our lives now and forever, we pray. Amen.